expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. If you don't understand, this is my ceremonial place. I'm a pilgrim here for the sacred day of Shudan. I don't care if you're the Easter Bunny, you're not bringing this on the station. The maker of all things will not permit this. He will allow nothing to stand between me and the blade. Yeah? Tell you what. I'll tie this to a magnetic grapple, stick it on the station's hull, and point you to the nearest airlock. If you can go after it without a breather unit, you can have it. You test my faith. And you're testing my patience. Now move on before I decide to flunk out. Man, I can't believe we got five more days of this to live through. Don't blame me. Blame our central. Say, we've got an idea. How about an entire week where every alien species on Babylon 5 was encouraged to demonstrate their dominant religious belief? It'll advance the cause of interplanetary peace and understanding. As bright ideas go, this one's right up there with having my gums extracted. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, July 29, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. And welcome to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is the number you can call, as always, and you can email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Today on the show, continuing a subject we discussed last week briefly, didn't realize it was going to explode into such a big issue. And last week we talked about the census, specifically the merits of the change from compulsory to voluntary being proposed by the federal conservative government. That very issue became the focus of an unexpected and intense national debate about the census, which has left a lot of people wondering what the fuss is all about, while others seem to have much stronger points of view on that subject. And one of those people is joining us today in the studio. That person's name is Dick Field. Hello, Dick. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me, Bob. And Dick and I, I want to tell the folks a little bit about you before you get started here, Dick, because, um, by the way, you can read all about Dick Field on his homepage, blancosblog.com, that's B-L-A-N-C-O-S blog.com, of which he is the owner, editor, and writer, and his opinions get around in the Canadian press and are always commented on. And um, you can read all about Dick on that particular page, including about his history as a World War II war veteran, his business and career background in sales, office management, industrial relations, life insurance, marketing. You even own your own travel business at yeah, one time, didn't you? Fifteen years, Bob. Yeah. yeah. Now you're living in Toronto now. I was surprised yes. to learn that you lived in London before yeah, for, I did. for a period yeah. of time. But none of these things are really relevant to how I came to meet Dick. It was our political paths that crossed, I guess, early in the 1990s. Though I can't be certain of the exact date or, or time. Uh, Dick was the founder of the National Lobby Group, Voice of Canadians Committees, which was formed to fight the Bob Ray government's Employment Equity Act of Ontario. Successfully, too, I might add. He also formed the Montgomery Tavern Society, which was named as such, interestingly enough, by John Thompson of the Mackenzie Institute, who was our last guest on the show a few yeah. weeks ago, Dick. I don't know if you know about that. But, of course, that refers to the Montgomery Tavern circa 1837, 
which was uh, incidentally referred to on our last week's show by Kathy Shadle in her Reg Cooper Square speech. And uh, both I and Freedom Party uh, worked with both of the groups formed by Dick. It should be mentioned that Dick has also been a past Freedom Party candidate. But the really uh, big issue that was pushed by all groups uh, was the census, and we've been fighting this for quite a while. And I remember, Dick, the first thing we got into was um, our campaign, Census by Race, what a disgrace. You remember that one? Oh, very well. What got you going on that? Well, I I think one of our members, one of our board of directors actually came to me and said, uh, look, Dick, if we don't fight this, uh, then there's no point having the Voice of Canadians committees. He was very strongly opposed (laughs) Mm -hmm. to what was happening. And that was in 1996. And uh, the reason for it was because for the first time, uh, the government had instituted or inserted into the long form uh, a whole raft of different kinds of races and colors and and, uh, ethnic groups and so forth, all of whom would be special people under the law and entitled to advancements, promotions, employments ahead of anybody else. Now, when most people look at the census, they just see it as an instrument of counting heads. <laughs> is that what it is? That's what it used to be. And years, what, what would you ago. say it is now? Well, I think it's, uh, it's designed to institute social programs to advantage minorities who under our laws now, employment equity being one of them, and even under the Charter of Rights, are considered to be totally disadvantaged forever. The minute they get off the airplane or arrive on our shores, they're considered to be in need of, uh, of help from the government. And that they have changed the laws, the fundamental laws and principles of our land. They've changed them totally uh, so that they've designed special laws for special groups of people. And they've instituted the idea of group as opposed to individual. In other words, we're all equal as individuals under and before the laws, and they're always the same laws for everybody. That has always been our principle in all British parliamentary divided mm-hmm. nations. And uh, that has been taken away. Now, we, the, uh, uh, Dick, the, the census started, in the long form at least, started in 1971 under the Pierre Elliott Trudeau yeah. Liberal government. <clears throat> Would it be fair to say that the long form census is actually an, a tool to implement uh, the political ideology of that one particular party rather than, say, the the, ac- the actual um, uh, opposing parties or the voice of Canadians in general? Well, it certainly was a liberal, uh, a liberal uh, designed um, item, and they included it in the Multicultural Act of Canada in that every um, group coming here from anywhere was considered to have a culture equal, equal to any other culture, and that included our own Canadian culture, which, of course, is a farce. Now, when you actually fought the, um, the long-form census back in, was it 91 census or the 96 census? When you tried to have the word Canadian... Yeah. Actually in. added onto a Canadian census. <laughs> yes, yes. Is that weird? A- asking well, about your national origin, yeah, I you know couldn't what answer you're talking Canadian. About. I know what you're talking about. Can well, you explain about go, that? Yes. If you go back to the 1980, let's see, the 86 census, mm-hmm. there was no place on that forum among all the ethnic origins to say that you were Canadian. 
you could be here for 10, 15, 20 generations going back 400 years ago. And uh, you weren't considered to be a Canadian. It wasn't on the form. So a lot of people were upset about that. Some 60,000 and 60 people wrote the word Canadian in on that form, on the long form, because they were angry about it. In 1991, which was five years later, that number skyrocketed right in. In other words, the people wrote it over the form and it's to 765,000 in 95. And then another uh, 267,000 roughly uh, were Canadian plus other kinds of ethnic groups. Hyphenated Canadians. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, we came to the 1996 census. And what we did was we raised such a ruckus with our campaign, the one that you mentioned, mm -hmm. Bob, a census by race, what a disgrace. I, I, I think what's happening today is still a consequence of that, Dick. Yes. I, I've seen evidence well, to it, it is, we'll get and that uh, we'll get to that. But uh, as a result of that, the census, because we saw the preliminary census before it was actually issued, and as a result of our campaign, which was, un which was also snapped up by many of the media across Canada and by other organizations across Canada, and so there were millions and millions of people involved in it that wrote to the parliamentarians and so forth. So as a result, they printed the long form in 1996 with the word Canadian in there. Mm -hmm. So from 765,000, it skyrocketed to 5,326,000 checked off that they now, were Canadian. Isn't that interesting, just on that one little question, how you can skew the results of a census yeah. by the way you ask the question. And that's why I wrote an essay many years ago called Leading Questions. And I, you know, to me, the, the questions asked on the census were like an eye-opener to what the government is thinking. You're looking into the government's mind. Oh, that's right. When, when you're looking at these, uh, these questions on that's the, the census. It's the same with polls, Bob. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, I want to take a bit of an early break on this first clip so that we can lengthen the, the last part of the show because sure. something here I wanted to, to mention. You know, the fact that many people, including a lot of people in the media, are scratching their heads about this strangely bizarre summer debate about the census out of the blue, I think it's a pretty clear sign that most people don't understand the nature of the extreme problems that we are going to have in this country pretty soon. The high taxes, the quantum leaps in energy prices, waiting lists in hospitals, a measurable deterioration in the quality of education accompanying an un unprecedented increase in cost, etc., etc. These all coincide with the questions being asked on the census. And, you know, the census and the questions asked by governments through agencies like Statistics Canada are really the best way to understand what government's up to, and basically it's all socialism from top to bottom. Basically a blueprint of how to rob Peter to pay Paul, making sure there are more Pauls <laughs> than there are Peters. So... Something maybe you don't know about, Dick, but when I personally took on the role of being uh, Freedom Party's president in 1984, the party I took over was originally registered in Ontario, in Alberta, and in British Columbia as a party called Unparty. And one of the first issues I inherited when taking over Unparty and changing its name to Freedom Party in 1984 was the census issue. So mm. I, I, I've been at that before I've been at that <laughs> in a funny sort of way. So this next clip coming up 
I want to ask our listeners to bear with us just a little bit because there's a bit of a hiss to this because I got this off an old beta video copy of a 1981 broadcast of the Doug Hall Show on CHCH-TV Channel 11 in Hamilton. And this is Doug Hall speaking to unparty founding chair Mary Lou Goodcher, who was really the, the person who got the party registered. And uh, so tell me what's changed in 30 years. Um, here's that interview, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Some maybe third world nations mm-hmm. and some Middle East nations. Every nation likes to have a census to know how many people they have in the country. Just count the heads. And uh, beginning of June, the census day. Mm-hmm. Now, we your party, you protested. <laughs> I just want to show our viewers something. There's a, uh, there's a handout that uh, the Unparty uh, put out uh, on the census. Resist the census. Why? Why don't you want to be numbered as a Canadian? There are hundreds of thousands of Canadians out there who agree that this is a, a wasteful invasion of their privacy. The information that's asked for on the long form, including your income, uh, whether your home needs repairs, what your mortgage payments are, how many people are living there, whether they're paying rent or not, are things that they feel would be very, very valuable to organizations like Department of Manpower and Immigration, especially when they're asking about what country you came from and how long you've been here. Uh, to the income tax department, to the municipal tax assessors. They even ask you what you think the value of your home is on the census. Um, people feel very uncomfortable about that. And what I object to, I really question the authority of a government official to come to my door and with the threat of a jail term or a major fine, tell me that I must tell them everything that's on that form. What did you do? Well. As far as my own census is concerned, I have my own little tricks. But what some of the people did was uh, most of them who objected and were concerned that they might have the head of the household, by the way, thrown in jail rather than the individual, if it happened to be someone other than the head of the household. Uh, if they were concerned about that, they would simply give a head count, a name and address, age, the, the minor questions, and refuse to answer anything personal. And as far as I'm concerned, there'll be no prosecution done because the government recognizes that it's unenforceable. They would be throwing literally 5 or 10% of the population in jail if they had to enforce it. Uh, but an interesting thing, the justification for doing the census is, one, it's a historical thing. We've done it. It's in the VNA Act. Who cares if it doesn't make sense? Two, it's used for, for government planning the economy. Now, we've been doing the census for over 100 years. And if this is what government does with those figures when they plan the economy, have runaway inflation, have overspending and indebtedness all over the place, uh, the country going to ruin, the economy going to ruin by their policies, then I don't want them to have that information because obviously they don't know what to do with it. And there's one other point, and that is the claim that uh, this is supposed to make you feel guilty when you don't fill out your census form. <coughs> if you don't fill out your census, the, the uh, province that you live in could lose $300 per year per person in federal grants. And what I say is, let me keep that $300 in taxes and you can save your time coming to my door. Why do we have to give them that information to transfer it? Why can't we just leave it in the hands of the people that earned it in the first place? Um, does your organization, and I'm talking to you because you know the various Inuit organizations uh, at which you sit, will you be able, through your own uh, financial means, 
For your benefit, will they be able to do it enough to respond to the needs of your community? I think it, it, it really is unreasonable to suggest that Inuit bear the cost of collecting data to measure the size and scope of their inequality. Welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. 519-661-3600, the number to call if you want to join in on the conversation. What you just heard there was from the Standing Committee on Industry, Science and Technology, which met the day before yesterday. Heard through an interpreter, that was Gatineau, Quebec, MP Richard Nadeau, asking Inuit Representative Elissa P. Sherapik about why the long-form census should be re- remain mandatory. And, and, and there was stunned silence after that statement when she said, quote, it really is unreasonable to suggest that Inuit bear the cost of collecting data to measure the size and scope of their inequality. <laughs> and, you know, how can you, you know, everybody's just sitting there, and I, and I can just see half the room was, was, was aghast in horror while the other half was smiling. <laughs> and you could just see the left and the right, and who is who, right after that one. And uh, but isn't that what it's all about, Dick? Yeah, I think so. I I, I think it's this dividing of Canadians from themselves. Uh, uh, if you ask the average Canadian, and it's asked all the time publicly, just who you are as a Canadian. How how do you define a Canadian? Well, French Canadians don't have any problem. They know who they are. Well, what happened to English-speaking Canadians? Well, maybe Quebec has takes a census every year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder, though, why, how is it that, that we're getting into all these sort of irrelevant debates about the census when this is the real issue? Yeah. Uh, you know, I sat through a whole day listening to all those hearings, and except maybe for that statement, nobody mm-hmm. else even broached mm-hmm. the issue. That's right. fundamental I, reason that we're collecting I heard a lot data. of it, but I think that's because it's difficult to raise the subject. The minute it, was, it would be raised by uh, Stephen Harper's government, you can bet that there would be a whole hullabaloo about racism and so forth. When it's not about racism, it's about fairness. We're talking about fairness here. You cannot, in a free society, uh, make special programs and special uh, laws to advantage certain groups of people for whatever reason. We all have to have the same laws we live under. It's called the rule of law. And that's been breached. And I think what Stephen Harper's trying to do, uh, for example, recently uh, uh, Jason Kenney, mm-hmm. the Minister of Multiculturalism and Immigration, uh, presented to Canadians, I think it was back in March, this Discover Canada booklet. For the first time, that booklet tells immigrants coming here that Canada, English-speaking Canada particularly, has a culture, a long culture going back a long, many hundreds of years. I've never actually seen a copy of that before, but I've heard about it. Well, you should read it because it covers our history, it covers uh, our our inventions, our wars, our uh, battles to remain free from the United States and their attack, um, and goes right back to the early settlements. So people have to now know something about where Canadians come from and what they believe in. 
Was that not always the case to some degree? Didn't we have some sort of... No, they used to ask them, uh, how many provinces in Canada? What's the capital of Canada? Um, What's the province surrounded by water on our eastern borders and so forth? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was always a a point of fact, very very little to do with with our uh, cultural... Background. More geographic than historical. Eh? Yeah, geographic. It was more a, a point of fact thing rather than this way. They have to understand we have a long, long history going back to habeas corpus. Our laws go back 800 years, and they're derived from our British past. And uh, even though the French Canadians are participant in all of that, they have their separate culture because of their French-Canadian background and their predominantly Catholic religion, Roman Catholic religion, which was... To say nothing of the language, which I think is the... Well, I was talking about the language, yes. I meant the language, yeah. Because sometimes people look at uh, French as being a culture and others as a language, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, well, I think the the fact that, that they communicate in French in Quebec predominantly enhances their own culture. I've got a question for you. Would you call Canada a bilingual country? No, it's not a bilingual country. Oh, thank you. Bilingual means to be able to speak two languages, and it's actually a very, very small minority of Canadians actually can speak both French and English. We are a dual, if anything, a dual language. Yeah, I, 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 I was, I was curious. I thought I could catch you on something there, Dick, but no, I didn't. No, no, <laughs> it's a but, fraud. Well, it's one of the biggest yeah. frauds being perpetrated on Canadians today that this is a bilingual country. It is not a bilingual because country because so much of the expense associated with the census has to do with bilingualism, yeah. and or, or so we are told. And yet, you know, ever since. I remember being in this country. This country has never been bilingual. It's been it's, no. it's a country with two official languages. That's exactly. all it is. And they're supposed to only be used to accommodate people in government services and within the government. They're not in the governments of Canada, but they are not uh, and never were intended that every person in Canada would be able to speak fluently both languages. Well, if, if, if the... If the proper function of government were followed, and that were to be, say, justice, the administration of justice, I don't see how any language issue would be a problem. If someone found himself before the courts who couldn't speak the language of the courts, what's the big deal of bringing in a private interpreter or anybody for that purpose? However, in the new Discover Canada booklet, they have mandated, and I I don't know how how far back that's gone, but for an immigrant to come to Canada now, they must be fluent in either English or French. As, like they, who would test them on that? Like Actually, it's a very interesting... It's up to a certain age. I think yeah. over 55 or something like that, they don't have to have mm-hmm. either one of those languages. But uh, up to that, they do. You're talking about Jason Kenney. Jason Kenney is actually at the head of a... Um, a movement in the immigration department which would test somebody on their proficiency in English. And there was an article, I believe, in the National Post, if not today, then yesterday, where a couple from America, one uh, one woman was from America and her husband was from Britain, um, of course, and they have PhDs in English literature. Mm-hmm. They had to actually, for their immigration status, pay, I believe it was over $200 to the federal government to take a test to demonstrate their proficiency in English. Yeah, I read that. So it can get quite silly, too. <laughs> well, it can. When you put regulations in, they're, they're impersonal. Yes. And uh, there's always people caught up in that 
kind of nonsense. But, now, I, I was interested in uh, a comment Mary Lou Goodcher made in her opening comment when she said that people who wouldn't fill out the census, if you didn't, your province was deprived of $300 bribe money per person. <laughs> Are we still doing that with the census? Do you know anything? Have you heard anything like that regarding the census now? No, Robert, did I, you run I into haven't. anything? Never well, heard such a thing. Aren't the transfer payments based on population statistics, though? Yes, that's well, I'm, I'm just surprised they haven't pulled that thread out of their bag yet, you know? Like, well, yeah. if you don't fill it out when we go voluntary, mm -hmm. uh, well, your province is going to be deprived of so much money. Not that we should even have transfer payments. No, that's, but, uh, that's an obscenity <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> but what can, you say, what can you say about that? That's so, a very complex subject, that transfer business. Well, it is because it's, um, I don't know if it's so complex as uh, not quite morally justifiable. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it complex when well, you're trying there, to cover your butt. There's two parts to it. There's equalization payments yeah. and there's transfer payments. And why do we have either? For well, what, have for what have possible because, reason? Because the, the government of Canada is the central, central collecting agency for taxes, for income taxes. Well, that's, that's one issue. They don't collect for all provinces, no. but... For uh, nine out of ten provinces, they collect. But you wouldn't need a census for that. No, I, they do it through the income tax department, I think. Um, oh, we, oh, we're coming close to the bottom of the hour already. My goodness, the time is flying. Listen, we'll take a break soon, right now. Uh, what we're going to be hearing next, and we should hear from this gentleman, and that's Tony Clement, who, of course, was appearing before the Standing Committee on Industry, Science, and Technology. And this next clip is taken from the CPAC... Um, broadcast that they had that I watched boringly live all day on Tuesday. My goodness, I had I to watched say, about a half wasn't hour that just torturous? It's terrible. <laughs> but you try to get something out of it. So obviously this is a bit edited, down to less than four minutes. And when we return on the other side of the break, we'll continue our discussion with our in-studio guest, Dick Field, owner, editor, writer of Blanco'sBlog.com. We'll return after this. We are here pursuant to Standing Order 108, subsection 2, for a study of the long-form portion of the census. And in front of us today, we have Minister Clement and Deputy Minister Discerny. Welcome to you both. We'll begin with an opening statement from the Minister. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman and uh, Honourable Members. I'm pleased to be here today to talk uh, about the government's decision to replace the mandatory census long-form with a voluntary form. Our government's reason for replacing the mandatory census with a voluntary national survey on the long form is clear. We do not believe that it is appropriate to compel Canadians to divulge extensive private and personal information. We do not believe that Canadians should be forced under threat of fines, jail, or both to divulge the answers to questions such as how many sick days did you take last year? Were you paid for those? What were your total payments for your primary dwelling last year? Do you have any broken floor tiles in need of repair in your bathroom? We recognize that the information gathered in the long-form census is valuable. However, we also recognize that, the, that a balance must be drawn when the government is collecting data under the threat of fines or jail or both. Now, although the census goes back to 1871, the long-form census has only been around since 1971, and the level of detailed personal information Canadians are being asked to hand over to the government has grown. The basic eight census questions have remained constant for decades. 
The additional questions that suddenly appeared in 1971 have been modified with new ones added each census. I have heard directly from individuals and groups a very compelling message that the government should not threaten people with prosecution when collecting detailed private and personal data. That is why our government announced that we would no longer punish Canadians for choosing not to complete the 40-page long-form survey sent to 20% of households. Now, critics of this decision believe that if a Canadian refuses to fill out the long form, that person deserves to be prosecuted to a maximum fine of $500 or to imprisonment of three months or both. And I want to be clear on this point. It was our government that took the decision to put an end to the concept of threatening Canadians with fines and or jail time for not completing the 40-page census long form. We then sought options from Statistics Canada on how to implement a reliable, voluntary survey, and this led to the creation and implementation of the National Household Survey. This reasoned and responsible approach is about finding a better balance between collecting necessary data and protecting the privacy rights of Canadians. That long-form data will now be collected through this new voluntary survey, the National Household Survey. The questions that will be asked in the new survey are identical to the questions that would have been asked in the mandatory long-form census. Moreover, on the advice of StatsCan, who recognized that the sample size would decrease as the long-form becomes voluntary, we have agreed to send the National Household Survey to 4.5 million Canadian households, almost double the sample size from 2006. This will be the largest survey distributed to, Canadian, to the Canadian population in our history. The short-form census of population remains mandatory and we count on every Canadian to provide this basic information as they did in previous censuses. Thank you very much. Now, um, my next question is for uh, Mr. McKeever. Um, you know, I've been reading some of the stuff that you put out, and I'm just wondering, you've mentioned a few things about pandering, and this really isn't about the census. Nobody really cares about the census. It's more about pandering to a portion of the Conservative Party or those who, who vote Conservative who are being disillusioned. Maybe if you can comment on that as a Libertarian. Well, just for clarification, I'm not a Libertarian, okay. I'm, a, I'm a capitalist, but... Um, okay. Very good, I apologize. We talk about for, as a capitalist. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, the, the uh, context of what you're talking about was a, as a, something I had written in which I had said that there is a political purpose that can be served by proposing making the long-form census voluntary. And the political purpose uh, to which I was pointing was simply that um, there are those who do call themselves libertarian, for example, or libertarian conservatives, uh, who are um, uh, not in favor, like myself, they are not in favor of someone uh, requiring them to tell, identify their race, sex, religion, and etc at the point of a gun or a fine or imprisonment. So, um, although the other part of my argument was that I did not think that there's really a substantive problem uh, with, with uh, making the census uh, voluntary because there are 
uh, it's, it's more uh, form than substance. I think that this data uh, is available already outside of the census and that this is more an overture to those who think that maybe the Conservatives are more um, friendly with the social Conservatives than they are with those who are sort of free market types. It's, a, it's an olive branch, if you will, although I'm not sure how effective it will be. Thank you, Mr. McKeever. Thank you, Mr. Rota. Uh, Monsieur Bouchard. And welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation with our in-studio guest, Dick Field, owner, editor, writer of Blanco'sBlog.com and, of course, a past organizer of many lobby groups, political efforts that we have been discussing about. And today our subject is the Canadian Census and the, 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 the sudden debate over the census in the midsummer of 2010. Who would have expected that, eh, Dick? Yeah. Now, what we just heard there during the break in those clips... Now, by the way, that last clip was Liberal MP Anthony Rota of uh, questioning FP leader Paul McKeever, not as FP leader or as a lawyer, though uh, that was what was listed on the site, I noticed, Robert, but as a writer and blogger who's been also making waves on the census issue, so that's good to see. And uh, it's clear that the whole issue is very political, what is going on there. I just find it amazing, Dick, that the Conservatives can say in one out of one breath that we believe in a voluntary census and we want it voluntary, but we're going to keep the other part compulsory. Yeah. And worse, after saying that they believe in this survey being voluntary, they're going to, or yeah, they're going to make it voluntary, but double the size of it, which is typical of every conservative solution. You ever notice how everything they do doubles the spending that anything the Liberals or NDP would do? <laughs> And they're creating a, a much larger bureaucracy and making it, quote, voluntary. Yet they're going to ask the same questions about the same racial issues, about the same everything. In fact, I've got a, I've got a clipping here, Tories defend policy on hiring minorities, which again, they completely con contradict themselves. They say, yes, we believe in uh, affirmative action, but we don't want any white people to be affected by it, like as if. And, you know, I've been calling them contradictories for years and years now because every other sentence coming out of their mouth is a contradiction mm -hmm. of the one before. Well, and I think that's wh where their problem has been. Yeah. Well, I, that's right. But I don't think it's only their problem. I think it's the liberal problem. It would be the NDP problem, any government that gets in power. Because we're so dysfunctional as a country now. We have corrupted our laws from stem to stern. The principles behind all our laws, our rule of law, it's absolutely gone. And so what we have is a country that is governed now uh, by accommodating all sorts of people for all sorts of reasons. And not only accommodating them by reason of the group they belong to, mm -hmm. but funding them massively. And that goes to women's groups, it goes to uh, uh, racial groups, uh, skin color groups, uh, economic uh, groups, any, economic groups, uh, and everybody gets anybody. money <laughs> from the government. Right. Now, that's our money. We don't need to spend that money. For example, because the uh, liberals put in effect a uh, equal... Uh, the same, the same uh, wages, the same income for work of equal value rather than the same job. In other words, women working in the same jobs as men should be paid the same. We all agree with that. Mm -hmm. There shouldn't be any distinguishment because a person's a female that, no. or a person's a male. 
But what they did instead, and this was due to the liberals and the socialist type of thinking, was it would be the same wages in a job for work of equal value. And that was to, because there were not always the same jobs in government. So they went outside to parking lot attendants or they went to nurses and they tried to relate the various parts of each job to the parts in the job the person was working in in the government. Now, that's a very fraudulent way of doing things. Now, what happened was there were 15,000 ordinary clerical types that you could hire for the government in Ottawa, for the federal government, I guess spread across Canada, with 15,000 who had been working for wages that, that were somewhat less than those uh, being paid to males in roughly the same kind of job, which, which is inequitable. You shouldn't be able to do that. But instead of saying for the same job, they said for work of equal value. Mm -hmm. And it, that's fraudulent because it doesn't take into account that if I put an ad, if the government were to put an ad in the paper and say, I want, we want clerical help of the beginning grade, you know, or the early grades, it's a simple clerical work that anyone can learn that with average intelligence, you would probably get, uh, if you put an ad in the paper for that and you said you wanted to get 100 employees, you were looking to hire a substantial number of people, the government would get 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 applications sure. or might. Whereas if they were to put an ad in the paper and said uh, specific, specifically we want uh, males to, to work in that job at uh, double the, or, you know, at the same wage that they're offering for, for the women in the ad, you probably wouldn't get hardly anybody because the males wouldn't accept that type of wage for that type of work. They wouldn't want that type of work, so you wouldn't get them. So you have to raise the wages in some occupations if you want to hire the number of people you want to fill the jobs. But it just so happens that in the clerical uh, business, there were 15,000 of these women who had been unfairly paid for many, many years and as a result of this work for equal value, which is totally an uneconomic, it, it pays no attention to how many people you attract mm. for a certain wage, uh, they were forced to pay uh, by the, I don't know, it was the Supreme Court or the uh, Arbitration Committee that looked, looked into this, and it went for, for a number of years, $7.5 billion. $7.5 billion were paid to bring these women up to this fraudulent work of equal value mm -hmm. uh, assessment of their jobs. Now, you see, I, I would even go a step further. I would... But that was the entire military budget at that time <laughs> for oh, a year. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they could have re-equipped our forces instead of having so many of our forces killed because they didn't have adequate equipment. They could have resupplied our forces. They could have bought those helicopters years ago instead of canceling them. Yeah, but that them. doesn't buy them votes, whereas paying their employees Well, to... <laughs> you know, that's the type of thing. And Mr. Harper did mention early on that he wanted to look into this. And when he did and when the women's uh, groups got hold of it, they immediately attacked uh, Harper as being unfair to women and against women and against women's rights. Uh, 
So that's the type of thing that goes on. And what I'm saying is that with any of these groups, you try, if a gov any government tries to withdraw these fundings, they are going to lose tremendous numbers of votes from those segments of society. Now, that day is inevitable regardless just because of the shape of the economy yeah. and because of the principle of blood from stone. I think we're getting to that point, aren't we? Um, you know, Stockwell Day says, according to this article here, says the government's preferred policies of encouraging minority groups to apply are working. He points out that 54% of civil servants are women, and I always get a kick out of that, women are a minority. And 18.8% .8 of new hires last year were visible minorities. Now, that's the term the government uses for non-white. That's the code word, visible minority. It doesn't matter which of the visible minorities you are. You could be a minority, but if you're not visibly minor, <laughs> then it doesn't count. And it says there are currently several postings across Canada that restrict people of certain races from applying. So it's an outright restriction. And apparently the Liberal support for hiring based on racial quotas is at odds with what the party said during its time in power. What else is new? You know, Dick, you talked about everybody else being funded, all these groups. We, ha we recently had, again with the Conservatives, remember the issue, a few, few elections ago, they changed all the election rules in the, in the country of Canada, federally. Political parties are actually being funded by the taxpayer now. That's that was right. unheard of before. Yeah. And Harper made the same and fuss. And labor. Labor. What, I, yeah, Unions are being sure. funded. Well, that, that's been going for a while. But, mm -hmm. I mean, the parties themselves, private organizations yeah. are being fund, funded by the taxpayer that's according right. to the number of votes that they will get during a federal election. Right. Now, Except for perhaps the Freedom Party. Well, yeah. <laughs> in fact, they made sure we, we, we weren't in there even after we finished the registration process. Yeah. But... Um, Think, I look at it this way, you know, Harper did the same thing with that issue as he did with this one. Do you recall the big fuss over threatening to pull out political party funding, right? Yeah. And, and, and this sounded like a very, quote, libertarian thing to do, right? That was a very freedom-oriented thing to do, which is people are using the word libertarian now in the wrong way. And so I'm thinking... Harper, you know, was Harper being principled in doing that? And it strikes me, no. Why would he do it? Because, of course, it means cutting the throats of his opponents. He's losing some money when he, when he cuts that, but they were already doing much better than their opponents right. in terms of... That's right. They were well-funded. Yes, in terms of yeah. private funding. So his motivation is not on principle, but on the fact that by getting rid of that funding, he can, you know, get rid of his enemies easier. Yeah. Now, I would get rid of the funding myself, well, that's what even the, though I'm one that, of the enemies. <laughs> that's exactly what the liberals claimed, and that's why everybody was so upset. But I, I have my suspicion maybe he was altruistic there. I think he didn't think it was the right thing to do. The same with really? the trust thing. That would be that would be that would be a worse look, reason. Look, Dick. Look, that that look, would be the the mo <laughs> that would be the worst well, indictment of all. Well, worse or better, I don't know. That's I, like I just, feeding your enemies, like, you know, like, like and then I, then letting them come and kill you. I, I I'm like you are, Bob. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am a friend to any party that stays on the straight and level, and I'm an enemy of any party that doesn't. But think back. One of the first things that Harper did was alter the trust promises he made. You remember, if they got elected, they would not temper with the trust um, deals that were going oh, yeah. on at the oh, time. I forgot remember? about that. Right, yeah. Tax and uh, so as soon as they got into power, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Flaherty, the minister of... Uh, 
finance, changed his mind within three months and, and said they would no longer support the trust arrangement. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. He withdrew mm-hmm. that. I think he gave a time period of a year or so, a couple of years before it would take effect. But essentially, he reversed his position on it. Well, then, of course, Arbor was considered a liar and a cheat, and he only said that originally to get elected. I don't believe that. I think he was trying to do something that was correct. They found it was wrong, and they were wrong. They admitted they were wrong. But you can't do that these days in politics. Well, you can't. Even if you admit you're wrong. I don't know about that. I, I, the, the few people I know that have said they've done something wrong have been quite Well, the admired. opposition won't let you. Yeah. The, well, people, the people might understand. On the flip side of that, Dick, um, yeah. to, to change your mind three months after you made a, such a, a monumental decision yeah. only goes to show that they didn't do their homework. I could agree with that. I agree with that. So which is worse? I don't know. <laughs> it's a balanced judgment on that. But I'm just, all, all my point was that, that they did the right thing for whatever reason. And uh, I'm not so sure in respect to the, uh, you know, um, employment equity kind of thing that they didn't also do it for the same reason. That, you know, that they thought it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Let's take a real quick break for a smile. We'll come back with a pretty tough question which is about the missing link in all this. Uh, There seems to be the elephant in the room that we're not talking about. And we'll be back right after this. People are so afraid, you know. I read something in the paper that really confused me the other day. It said that 80% of the people in New York are minorities. (laughs) Shouldn't you not call them minorities when it gets to be 80% of the population? It's a very white attitude, really, you know? You can take a white guy to Africa and he'd be like, look at all the minorities they got over here. Jesus. racism but people always have a reason for being racist you know like i met a guy really racist guy and i asked his friend afterwards i was like why is he like that his friend goes well he was born on a farm (laughs) what kind of farm was that how do you get racism from a farm what are the animals racist maybe animals are racist like jams Pretty racist farm over there. Those animals have an attitude. That was Louis C.K. Raised on a farm. (laughs) But it begs the question, you know, and I thought, you know, here we are, three white guys, and we were all laughing at that white attitude joke because it is kind of funny. But the not funny part about all this, and white people aren't even, this is so politically incorrect to say, wouldn't it be more accurate to say that rather than affirmative action, being a pro-minority action is really an anti-white action? Because I don't see affirmative action being aimed at other groups in terms of who is kind of identified for payment. If you look at any of the complaint procedures or any of the forms before human rights commissions, there's no place for a white male to fit in there. 
No. You, if you're white, you must be female, basically, or have some, no. or have a handicap, or something like that. And yet, you know, Robert, you and I were talking about this, and and, and you said this was because whites were perceived to be the oppressors in the past. It, historically, I guess historically. that's the impression over the last you know few hundred years. It, it always well, seems to be the the white male who had the vote, the white male who had the power, and now. Of course, you, you, you have to punish the white males, even though I didn't, you know, prevent women from having a vote. I didn't not have only this that, industrial Not only job. that, it's a complete aberration of history because most slavery in the world was done from blacks to blacks. And it still is. And still is. <laughs> and, 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 and it's always been like That's that. Right. And it's only when there's a color difference between the oppressor and the oppressed that the issue comes up in the way that it does here mm-hmm. in Canada. And so... You know, if you're looking for some sort of consistency throughout the whole racial component of wealth redistribution in this country, the stated consistency is that the white male is the problem, and yet that's not how it works out anyway. Everyone who's getting taxed, doesn't matter what color their skin is, doesn't doesn't matter whether they're one of the specialized groups, whether they're women, they're all being taxed, Mm -hmm. and they're all paying for this thing. And so women are paying to Mm -hmm. other women. Black people are being forced to pay to other black people. And and it, it's just an absurdity. The government is t- is on the take in the middle of all this. And since when did our governments ever become nothing but an instrument for wealth redistribution? That's that's mm-hmm. the evil of all of this, isn't it, Dick? Well, it, it's manipulative too. I mean, uh, it it's so hard to describe. You know, when we fought the employment equity thing mm-hmm. back when uh, we went after the uh, remember it uh, well the Ray government, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you remember all the inequities that were taking place. Uh, we had uh, what they called a black racist or racial directorate that was in the office of uh, Bob Ray. Mm-hmm. And these were uh, 90% uh, black, well-educated people, and very uh, high-profile people. But uh, a lot of those people were employed direct from Barbados, direct from Trinidad. They weren't even residents of Canada when they were put into those positions. Mm -hmm. And yet they went around and told every employer that qualified, that had to hire so many people uh, within a certain period of time, have a certain percentage in there that that was uh, comparable with the percentage in the surrounding community of visible minorities. And uh, it was impossible to do that. So what did they do? They went outside of the communities. They went, in fact, they went, as, as I mentioned, as far as Barbados or whatever to bring these people in. I guess if you want to use an example, let's, let's say as an example, um, we, we allow 10,000 Haitians to come in because of the, uh, the advanced poverty down there right. and the destitution. They don't have any education. Right. And now because they skew the statistical figures for a particular community, for example, like Montreal, where there's a large right. Haitian uh, population, StatsCan would look at that and say, well, how come you haven't hired so many or X percentage of Haitians in your industry or in your, uh, in your government? That's the right. thing is that they're all undereducated, you know, poor, exactly. on welfare, mm-hmm. and they have yet to develop yeah. or percolate through society with the necessary credentials to be able to be hired in such a mm-hmm. situation. Exactly. And I remember in the Toronto Star, they had a headline uh, one time it said, uh, it said, the educational system fails blacks and Portuguese. Do you recall that? No, not Our that. educational system fails blacks and Portuguese. 
That's well, a weird point. Pair. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. because, why not, why not blacks and Castilians? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that. It was that the Portuguese and certain number of blacks were failing in the system. And the reason they were failing is because they were not of the same level of education or experience within the educational system as the people that would normally come from the community here in Canada. And it's just natural and normal. But somehow it was our fault. It was the educational system's fault. So actually, you know, when you go back to the census, all of these questions they're asking, which are rather invasive and, and, and a lot of them are superficial, it's very difficult to say that when you have a set of numbers that indicate one thing, whether or not that thing is caused by something that you might think it would be caused by. I don't know if right. I'm explaining myself properly here, but there seems to be underlying problems that they're not asking questions about. Oh, that's right. There's no uh, cause and effect is what you're saying. No, there's, no the, cause there's a effect. correlation, yeah. but no cause and effect. Right. Yeah. Right? And that's just exactly like... Which is poor like, science. Like, like the Inuit woman said. She said, you know, we have no way of measuring our inequality. Remember <laughs> last week I said if it weren't for the census, people wouldn't know they were unequal. Yeah. Because until you tell them, they don't know. And that's the information they're after. Someone who's living out in the boonies and doesn't have a TV set, the information they want to know is, do you have a TV Actually, set? Actually, I think you may be wrong on this well, one, Bob. Really? You may be wrong because I think that when you tell them that they're unequal, I think you're actually lying. I think that people have a, a oh, great that's a deal good, of... Oh, uh, that's a good spin. I, 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 I you know, know what you're There are statistics, saying. statistics, and damn lies. And mm -hmm. I think that most of StatsCan's information are damn lies. They're no. indicating correlations, but without showing causality. That's right. If you say there's 19% visible minorities in Canada, everybody says, oh, well, there should be 19% visible minorities in all levels of, of industry or all levels of government. Well, that's untrue because those people last year just got here and 18 years ago just got here you have to wait an entire generation you have or maybe to wait. two there's a long time uh, let's take a president of, of ford motor company for example he's probably in his 50s or 60s by the time he gets that job as president and he's only one one of thousands and thousands of employees that reached the top it took him all that time it takes time to integrate and, and become part of the system and work yourself through the system. And not just that, but also effort. I mean, if you and do effort, nothing, yes. then you're yeah. not going to be yeah. progressing. No, but I'm far. assuming everybody yeah. tries hard, you know. Do they when they're in a welfare state? Best. Well, a welfare state is, is uh, it, it's enervating. It destroys people. If it's continued too long, it destroys people. That's another thing about this, the census yeah. and the... Um, uh, multiculturalism and the inequity yeah. pol policies that our yeah. government is, is enforcing, and that is yeah. that it treats people as victims and they become yeah. known as victims. Yeah. They become vilified as victims. Well, they're, they're, they're classic they example, start to believe it themselves. The classic example is, is our poor Indian communities. Now, it's made out in Canada that every Indian community, its reservation, is poor and downtrodden and terribly uh, everything's inequitable. That's not true. There are very wealthy Indian communities. There are communities on the west coast of Vancouver Island that have a fleet of half a dozen huge vessels worth two, three million bucks apiece that are fishing. They have a huge fishing industry. There are people you know, isn't with that oil inter in interesting? Land. I was I was just talking about that on the show a couple of weeks there's ago. A, there's and I didn't there's know an that. Indian band in British Columbia that's in the real estate business. They're making a fortune. They're doing fine, thanks. What our problem is is that we have these small communities, maybe 100 or so souls, 
They're way up in the bush somewhere where they used to be able to trap and fish and they can't do it anymore. And there's no new mining around there. There's nothing that's an economic base for them. And we supply them roughly $95,000 for every Indian person. And we might as well put it in their pocket. It goes to the band and people lose their incentive. They lose the will to achieve. They would, they don't, it's not that they would rather do that. It's just, it's just easy and they don't see another way out. And we don't always offer them another way out. So, I mean, it's a problem. It's a serious problem in those communities. And when the, I know recently we offered one band up near Timmins to come to the verges of Timmins or they set aside a, an area of housing for them and leave the reservation, but they wouldn't do it, even though there was no economic base. Why? Because they were afraid to lose their entitlement to their reservation, the land. And it's certainly a problem, and it's a problem for the rest of the country too. Yeah. Dick, you ca I can't believe it. The hour has gone. You're and kidding. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and we had so much more we could talk about, and I'm sure we will in the well, future. We Maybe we'll have you back on a future show, eh? Yeah, I'd love to come. Okay, that's terrific. Well, thank you for joining us. We've been with Dick Field, owner, editor, writer of Blanco'sBlog.com. Check it out for yourself. That's it for today. And we will be out of here now. So join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. To black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be why do we even bother learning Parisian French in school Since you don't use it in Quebec I remember learning in school A flat tire was Pneu crevé Quebec Got them flat tire <laughs> That's it All the signs are in French But easy to understand They have strip joints in Montreal Names like Chateau de Sex <laughs> Pretty hard to figure What's going on there, huh? Gee, I don't speak French. What could Chateau de Sax mean? <laughs> well, imagine there's American tourists going, what is that, pornographic hats? <laughs> <laughs>